Welcome back. I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. We're telling the story of education through the eyes of the people in it, the people making it happen in the trenches every day, local teachers. And you are also a part of this show. The teachers we have on this show are nominated by our listeners. All you have to do is drop us a line with your suggestion at teacherslounge at niu.edu. On this week's show, I had a conversation with Maggie Kasiki. She teaches English as a second language at Rockford University, and she volunteers at schools across Rockford, helping out with their cross-cultural education, which if you spend more than seven seconds with her, you realize is just her life's joy and passion. And I want to give you a little tease of a story Maggie told about cross-cultural learning and a recent trip she took to China where her and her friend were confronted by a little boy who told them that Americans are bad. She explained to him, she said that, you know, there are people that do bad things um, in America. There are people that do great things that are in America. There are some people that do bad things in China. There are people that do super great things in China. You know, and then she went through a list of countries saying that same thing. And then um, she said, do you think that I do good things? And he said, yes, I do. I think some Americans are good. And one interaction, one interaction flipped that mindset, that thinking. During that conversation with Maggie, we also talked a lot about her traveling, but specifically how she travels. There's no Holiday Inn. There's no Continental Breakfast to speak of. Maggie gets straight up embedded, and I cannot wait for you to hear about how she does that. She also hosts a lot of international students at her own house here in Northern Illinois. And I asked her, more importantly, what foods that she shows off? What really encapsulates American culture and cuisine? And I think that her answer is going to surprise you. That's coming up later on the show, but also, this year, Rockford Public Schools revamped their career-focused high school academies with community sponsors and more job shadowing, but can it improve student outcomes, like graduation rates? Well, I went and visited some of them at chiropractic offices and a Habitat for Humanity construction site to see just how it's going. Students are taping drywall they hung a few weeks ago, and the sound of hammers and saws echo from another room. This house here was built last year at Guilford. You were in that class, right? Yeah, so they built the house last year. That is Jack Turner. He's the construction manager at the Rockford Area Habitat for Humanity. The student he just spoke to is in a construction class at Guilford High School. The class works both semesters and builds one house per year. Well, the house will be done, the dedications before school's out. Across the hall, in the room with those hammers and saws, another group works. Two of them stand on ladders, sanding the ceiling as sawdust rains down on their faces. Unlike the construction class, they're only job shadowing for the day. Every few weeks, a new batch of shadowers briefly join in the construction. Drake Austin is a sophomore at Auburn High School in Rockford. We usually do projects in a shop class, but we want to do, I personally want to do this because it's something to be interested in, you know, maybe a future job. Austin is in the Production Academy, which includes career paths like construction and engineering. He's still a sophomore, which means if he really wanted to, he could still switch academies. Or he could stay on this career arc and maybe join the construction class himself. Auburn offers a few extra paths as well, unique to the school, creative in performing arts and gifted. Rockford Public Schools first rolled out the academy model nearly 10 years ago. And the goal was to give students hands-on college and career readiness opportunities. Susan Fumo is the executive director of school improvements at RPS. She says around 50 Auburn students were shadowing different jobs that day. They're not sitting and doing a worksheet that's just regurgitating information. Like these kids had to solve problems. They've had to experiment with the different types of sanders, which I didn't know how to do. I mean, and that's what they're going to have to do in the real world. 
It's the kind of experience all Rockford High School students complete before they graduate. And FUMO says RPS also hopes it can improve the pipeline of students from Rockford schools to Rockford jobs. She did. She did. She did a great job. That second voice is Eric Manirod. He's a junior at Auburn and says he's interested in this type of job too, especially somewhere like Habitat for Humanity, where he can work. Not, not for a satisfaction of building, but like for a benefit of others. Across town, a few students look at x-rays. They're shadowing at Hulsebus Chiropractic. One of them is Ricardo Apricio, another Auburn junior. I was kind of leaning into um, physical therapy. Since like physical therapists and chiropractors kind of have to have like the same base like knowledge. He's part of the health academy. But even though shadowing typically lines up with their academy, that's not always the case. The other student learning how patients are evaluated is in the business academy. They're both joined by an RPS Academy coach, Katie Hahn, who explains the process. Auburn is different in the sense that they didn't really, all of our students didn't have a freshman academy to explore. They chose, a lot of our students chose in eighth grade and they didn't really know what they were choosing. Get your feet wet in the academy that you've been given, but if you have interests in other areas, let's go with your interests. They may not have a freshman academy, but they do get to attend a freshman expo. The event features 100-plus booths from local businesses and industry professionals, and students explore careers to make sure they're comfortable within their new pathway. Essentially, we're hoping for internship and capstone experiences. We're not there just yet. But Rockford High Schools do still struggle according to state metrics. Two of the district's four high schools, including Auburn, earned lowest performing ratings on the Illinois Report Card last year. That's due to test scores, but also because they have graduation rates below 67%. The district did make some changes. With the rebranding, the academies now have local business sponsors, and all freshmen now take a full-year college and career readiness course. And they're confident the approach will yield not just better test scores, but careers. Okay, now it's time for the news roundup, which, if you'll indulge me, I'd just like to catch you up on some education news items that you might have missed, might have slipped through the cracks in the last couple weeks. Northern Illinois University announced it is no longer considering standardized tests like the SAT and the ACT in admissions and scholarship decisions. Other universities, including Western Illinois University, have adopted test-optional policies. NIU is the first public university in the state to go completely test-blind. Those applying for fall 2021 will not have to send in test scores. And if students have a cumulative grade point average of 3.0 or higher, they'll be automatically admitted. Quinton Clay is the director of admissions at NIU. He says research has shown GPA is a more accurate assessment of academic readiness. For us as an institution, it really becomes important that we do the right thing when we have good information and stop trying to find ways to justify old, antiquated, and frankly, uh, inefficient and effective methods. Clay also says it's an equity issue. Critics argue success on standardized tests is often tied to test prep resources and family income level. Students with GPA lower than 3.0 will still be considered. Clay says those students will go through a unique holistic review of their application. And Illinois State Representative Mark Batnick also has an idea about college admissions and standardized testing. He introduced a bill that would guarantee admission into any Illinois public university for students who score in the top 10% nationwide for the SAT and the ACT. And even though it wouldn't be directly tied to any tuition scholarships, Batnick 
did acknowledge that there's a need to lower tuition in the state. He said, quote, we are third in the nation for funding, nearly double the national average, yet we have really have high tuition in the state of Illinois. And nationally, the Department of Education is trying to simplify the process to apply for the Public Service and Loan Forgiveness Program. And if you remember, they had to fix this because last year, a review showed the program turned away 99% of applicants. 99! All right, hope you feel nice and caught up. You can sit back and relax because it is time for my conversation with Maggie Kosicki. It's a good one. Enjoy. So you pretty much run the whole gamut of, you know, elementary school, through middle school, through high school, through college. That's my passion. My passion is humanity. That's a good passion to have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by that? My son's in the military. I'm, I love um, American values and what our country is built on. Um, but what I love more is being um, a human being and loving human beings. Um, so I think that we get really caught up in pride in the wrong things um so in order for us to get back to the place where we're just proud of being a human being we need to understand each other and have relationships with each other and build bridges with each other and so that's where my passion comes in in 2020 you think that we have more resources at our disposal than ever to be able to get to know other cultures and be able to be informed about all other sectors of humanity, but in some ways, just, I don't know if it's the nature of politics or relations, but it seems like it hasn't made it quite as easy as it is. But it, it, it probably helps for you, in your case, that you have a lot more tools with the, with the internet to make sure and help people learn about all these different things. It's not something that families make as a priority, so their kids don't make it a priority. So as even though we live in this age of access to more information than we've ever had access to, um, it's not something that people take the time to study or learn about or, you know, we have this amazing school called Rockford Ikra that is the Muslim school of Rockford. And I built a relationship between the Muslim school and this little school called, called Spectrum, this private school. And I'm driving these Spectrum students over to Ikra and I said, you know, hey, are you guys excited about your day at Ikra? And they said, you know, I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. And I said, I don't understand. What are you nervous about? And they're like, I don't know. And my, those middle schoolers couldn't even get their finger on why they were nervous, why they were scared. And this was only three miles from their own home, from their own school. We went three miles. That's all. They just played with each other and learned from each other. And the kids get back in the, in the car and the van on the way back. And I said, okay, guys. I'm like, what'd you learn today? They're like, not much. Kids are kids. That's all I, I didn't learn much anything else than I do at Spectrum, but you know, they're just the same kids as us. I'm like, yes, that's what you learned. That's what you learned. <laughs> yeah. And probably all that. And probably even more importantly, that they were no longer afraid of that. Right. It, it, it was, it was like nothing. So then the, the Ikra kids came over to Spectrum and they hugged each other. They said, I miss you. You know, they welcomed them in the class and they really learn kids are kids from three miles away. I mean, it, we didn't even need to travel. So this is my love, my passion, my yearning for existence. Yeah. <laughs> 
What age range were the kids that went and visited that school? Ikra? Yeah, Ikra. So um, I think we had second grade to eighth graders that we did the little cultural exchange with. Yeah, because I saw some other things about you guys making different like African masks and celebrating different German things yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I mean, we want to celebrate holidays. We want to celebrate art, all those things that make up culture. Um, but you can't talk about culture and not talk about politics. So we talk about history of countries. Um, so when I talk with my Auburn students, we start with current events and then we go backwards. Why did this happen? How did this start? You know, this didn't just ha- happen yesterday. This is the, the, you know, cultivation of things that have been happening for a dozen years or two dozen years or a hundred years. At North Boone High School, we have a, a international club at North Boone and they really didn't understand how important foreign trade was and foreign policy is and how that affects their little their little town um, of Poplar Grove. And they're like, why? Why do we have to learn, you know, history of the world? Why does this affect us? And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. I'm like, they're like, we're just farmers. And so bringing that understanding that you are selling your soybeans to China, right? And how much of that um, is getting sold to China and how that directly affects your family that they had no idea, no idea. And so they went home and they told their parents and their dad is like, oh yeah, you know, it does. I watch the markets. And, and these kids were flabbergasted. What do you mean you watch the markets? They had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. These things are so, so, so important for these kids to understand. And, and actually in the state of Illinois, under world history and world geography are not required to graduate. I think it's funny too. I mean, you mentioned whether it be learning about the markets and with farmers or just in general, you really don't have to go very far for them. And in some cases, I mean, if they're farmers, it literally is in their backyard sometimes. But that all these things are available to us. This is something that is both, you know, important, but is really easily easy to personalize for someone and really easy to put it within their context. So my partner and I, um, I have a heart for China, and my partner and I took a trip just this past summer to China. Um, we brought students with us, and after the students had gone back, um, she and I were walking around um, doing some research to prepare for our next trip. And um, this family, mother, father, son, stopped to talk to us. We kind of stick out in China, and um, so my partner turned and said hello to the little boy and he said he said hello everybody can say hello even if they know no other english they can say <laughs> yes. hi or hello um he thought we looked russian and so he thought we were russian and, and we said no we're from america and this little boy goes americans are bad and it's a tough one to respond to that was really rough really rough to respond to yeah. and um i'm soft-hearted so that made me cry and um, she, who speaks Mandarin, handled it much better than I did. And she said, do you think I'm bad? And he didn't know how to take that. And so um, she explained to him, she said that, you know, there are people that do bad things um, in America. There are people that do great things that are in America. There are some people that do bad things in China. There are people that do super great things in China. You know, and then she went through a list of countries saying that same thing. And then um, she said, do you think that... I do good things? And he said, yes, I do. I think some Americans are good. And one interaction, one interaction flipped that mindset and that thinking. It flipped the mindset and almost an 
inversion exactly of, of your job, right, of what you do in America with kids. That's why we bring kids abroad. Um, and as important it is to bring kids to Europe, it's still Western culture. And seeing history and, you know, being with European countries is great and I love it. But actually going to a country where the thought is not the same is mind-blowing. It is life-changing to truly try to see people's other perspectives. Um, I have one story of one of my Chinese students who was here in America studying, and he loves space. And I mean he loves space. He knew every astronaut from NASA. He knew what mission they were on. He knew what rockets they were. They knew what scientists developed the rockets. I mean, I've never seen a kid more passionate about space and NASA than this kid. Well, they at NIU, they were having this thing where they had an um, astrophysicist and an astronaut were coming to visit. And so I told them, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to bring you. You're going to get to meet this guy, you know, and we're going to listen to the lectures and everything. And, and he was excited. And I said, you can bring a friend. He asked a bunch of friends and none of them can go. They were all going to Chicago. They were all going to Chinatown for dinner. And so no one could come with him to go to this, to this function. And then so he called me and he goes, Maggie, I'm so sorry. He's like, I can't go with you to the aeronautical engineering event that you were going to take take me to. And I said, why? He said, because I'm going to go to Chinatown with my group of friends. Well, I was mad. I was angry. And I'm like, I'm going to call your parents. So I got on the WeChat, which is the, their version of texting, and texted his parents and they got back in touch with me and so we got on a video together and I explained the situation to them and his mother said I am so proud of him and I said what what do you mean you're so proud of him I don't understand she said he has chosen to support his friends and not be selfish and do what he wanted to do what a blow to me like I had always prided myself that I'm so woke, you know, and that I'm in tune with other cultures and I'm very sensitive. And I, and I just, it was such a slap in the face to me that it was so insensitive culturally to that. And I had to go back to him and apologize for being angry and being short and that I understand that to him, he was, he was not being selfish, that he was thinking others above in front of himself. And those are the cultural things that happen when you take kids to somewhere totally outside of their culture. Those are the things that you learn. Yeah, yeah, wow. And you know, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about too, oh, you've Saudi Arabian students. Yes, um, many of them here at Rockford University. My class is unbelievably diverse, but I'm actually having some of the Saudi Arabian students over for dinner this weekend. It is a privilege to meet these people. I just, they blow me away with their kindness. Um, and their openness to me and them telling me their stories. And it takes a while to earn that trust because they're, they're not trusting because of what they hear on media, what they hear people say. Yeah, I can imagine so. And I can also make sense that it would, might take a little bit to fully earn, I guess, anywhere from China to Saudi Arabia when there's just decades and decades of news stories and just kind of cultural discourse about our two countries where everyone just always just kind of reinforces the notion that we're different. I thank God every day for, for this opportunity. And, you know, you don't go to college thinking that this is going to end up being your life. And 
all I can say is, you know, people say, how? How did this happen to you? And honestly, I followed my heart's passion, the passion that I believe that God put on my heart. And then I walked through doors, you know, doors just kept opening because I worked hard and I was passionate about it. And so that's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you next, which is how you did get into both education, but also this focus on international students and on cross-cultural studies, how that happened? Is it something that you've wanted to do from a young age? Or is this something that, like you said, you kind of just follow the things that you were passionate about and opened doors and ended up here? Gosh, it's a, it's a very long story, but um, one, of my, one of my grandparents is Jewish, and um, I really wanted to learn about what it was like to be a Jew, um, the the cause of the Jews, um, and so I started studying about that. That was in, in college, and in that study, um, what I learned was is that the way that the Jews thanked God or praised God for everything that they had is they had this open-door policy. Like, if you had a cousin from another city coming, they would say, oh, I know someone in this city, and you would invite them into your home to stay, and it just hit me so hard that in the United States, we live in such huge homes, and we are don't have anyone stay in them. Like it's a very closed door policy, you know. Especially in the suburbs, where we're just literally far away from everyone all of the time. It's it's unbelievable. And then you know the ringing of the doorbell and the knocking of the door. Now we have rings so that we have to see who it is, and we don't even have to answer the door if we don't want to. I know you can just have a video <laughs> feed. You can look out there and be like, no, no, no not today. <laughs> You know, and it's just, that was not their policy. You know, they didn't even have doors. There was no door. So there wasn't an open door policy as much as there just wasn't a door. Well, they didn't feel <laughs> yeah, a yes. need for that. But yeah, you know? metaphorically, yes. Yeah, they didn't feel a need for that. They, Your home was a place for people to gather. Of course you're going to have people come in, come in, come in. And I, I want that. I want to have an open door policy. I want people to feel comfortable coming to my, coming to my home and being in my home. Really, once I had kids and they started get, getting older, I was very disappointed in their lack of cross-cultural learning, their lack of um, learning world history. So I felt like I needed to take that on and you know, share that with my own kids and do that, do that myself because I didn't think they were getting it anywhere else. I did not want to um, have kids that grew up ethnocentric. That was just a top priority for me as a parent. I don't want ethnocentric kids. Well, a lot of people would maybe say, say, oh, man, I wish that they had more. I wish that my kids had this more to study. I wish that they had this in school. But I think it's a whole different other thing to be like, okay, I'm going to try to do that for both them, but for other people. So being an educator, where did that come in for you? You know, sometimes your passion is something that you volunteer at. And that's really the way that it started with me. I saw a need. It was a need that I was something that I knew was important. So I found a way. <laughs> the Marshall principle will say you know, that I chased her down. And, uh, you know, she thought it was going to be a one-time meeting. And, you know, it was going to kind of be over with. And it wasn't. And I didn't give up. And I kept pursuing. I just kept knocking and knocking and knocking and saying, you know, I think this is important. And I don't need to get paid. Just let me do this. And um, so I think that my job kind of came out of, my passion in volunteering. Sometimes that's the way it has to start. Yeah, and so I got TEFL and TESOL certified. I was teaching English at some camps in China. I got involved with this 
company that helps university students um, find internships all over the country. I ended up being coming vice president of that company. So I was in education at the college level. And I just saw that there was just consistently this huge gap between the international students and the American students. and A gap between them relating to each other, kind yeah. of that type of thing. Yeah. And all I did was take the time to listen. Yeah. And so you mentioned going to China a couple times. Yeah. I want to hear about that definitely, but I'm also curious about maybe what other international traveling that you've been able to do. Can you talk a little bit about some of the opportunities you've had with that? So um, I'm going to go to France with my um, visit some of my French students in May with my husband. But it's really important to me that when we travel that we're not going on vacation. I want to live with a family. I want to live with a host family. I want to live life the way they do if I can go you to, want to be embedded I do if yes. I can go to work with them that's even better <laughs> you to, you've like, gotten to do that you've gotten to go to work with yeah, people yeah. what have you gotten to do so oh my gosh so many wonderful things in you know in China people that own little markets I've gotten to go and be in their little market and see what they do and see how they gather fruit and one guy um, sell meats um Lots of educational things. So I've taught in schools in China, met with the, edu- um, the education board in China. I don't want to go to a hotel and I don't want to see famous things. I want to be with the people. Like, I don't want to be outside looking in. I want to be on the inside doing what they do. That's the way to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Have you made an exception for any famous cultural sites, historical sites? Are there some of them where you're like, okay, I might have to break a rule on this one? For the most part, I don't love the famous things. But for anyone listening, if you want to go to China, the most amazing, I would say, the greatest man-made structure is in Nanjing, China. Um, It's huge, 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 huge um, Buddhist temple out of Every place that I've ever seen in the world, this is the most amazing place that I've ever seen. How do you travel like you travel if you're going somewhere where you don't have any relatives or you don't know what to be in there? How do you get yourself fully embedded in a place that you don't have a connection to? Start with HelpX. Do you know what HelpX is? I don't. Uh, please explain to me what HelpX is. So HelpX is that you go and you live on a farm or in a little B&B or in an Italian villa or any place that needs help. And they feed you and they give you a roof over your head and you work four to six hours a day on their property or in their store. And then... Um, You have the rest of the day free to travel and to walk around in your village or to explore other places, but you live with this family. This is, in my opinion, the way to travel culturally. Um, So if you're going to go to China, you can skip the Great Wall. Well, no, you don't need to skip the Great Wall, but... Um, but it go, shouldn't it shouldn't be the centerpiece of the whole trip. Oh, 100%. Because I feel like that's what most people that don't have a huge knowledge base of China, when you think travel to China, what is there to see? I feel like most people would default to that, right? Um, yeah, but there's, there's many entrances to the Great Wall. There's not just one. And so you get to see the Great Wall. You just go and whatever entrance is near where you're visiting. Um, so, where you're living, yes. Yeah, where you're living. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a very great wall. It's very big. <laughs> I've heard it's pretty good. I've heard it's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a, it's a day trip. But 
and, and it's historical and it's important, and I don't want to minimize that. But It's a big wall. It's hard to minimize. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many more amazing things. But people that can't travel or don't want to travel, the next best thing is to host an exchange student. Have you had the opportunity to do that as well? So we've hosted 24 long-term exchange students at our house. So one or two, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but including short-term, I think we're over 100 now Like that have been on short-term one-week trips or two-week trips or six-week trips. So including that, I'm sure it's over 100. Over 100 from how many different countries, countries do you think? Um, I, I can't even imagine that, that many, that many. We've lost count. We've, lo- we've lost count. But, um, but when you, I mean, I just can't say it enough. When you open your home, that's when that networking happens, that opportunity opens up, the world opens up. What my job as a teacher is to make people become lifelong learners. I mean, I want to live that out, right? What have you found when you're teaching ESL to students of a bunch of different nationalities? Does it ever affect how they learn or how, like, how they best learn? Do you ever find that people learn in different ways? Oh, 100%. Yeah. In Chinese classrooms, you know, this is the one that I have the most perspective on. They have very, very large classrooms. They have 53 students in a class, so much larger than we have here. And so there isn't that Socratic discussion, right? And they're just not used to that, just attention being on them. And I will say, and what do you think about this? And they freeze because they're, they have not practiced answering questions directly from a teacher like like that because with 53 students it's almost impossible you're just at crowd control and then you start to understand kind of more their educational system and where their thoughts come from i think that a lot of people experience different cultures through shows like anthony bourdain or things like that that are food centric yeah but when you're talking about food and experiencing that for people that you have in your home that you're hosting that you're teaching people about what we believe is american culture what food-wise, what are, what are you what are you showing off as this is American cuisine? Chicken pot pie. Chicken pot. Why chicken pot pie? To me, it just seems like why is the that peak America? Quintessential <laughs> yeah. American, like it's um, portable. You can if you really <laughs> wanted to. It's like it's encased in bread, which is very American. Yeah, it's all creamy. Um. But in other countries, they don't stick their food together in other like, food. like like we do. <laughs> like my Chinese students, when they come, they're flabbergasted that I only have one dish. In China, you know, you they will have six or seven dishes when you sit down to a meal, and then when I just plop down, you know, yeah. <laughs> one pot pie. How dare you sully the other ingredients <laughs> by shoving them together? And it doesn't. <laughs> make a nice perfect square you know kind of no. all like oh no it doesn't of course <laughs> like no. just kind of flips <laughs> falls over. over yeah um it's hearty yeah it's got all the food groups together <laughs> yeah. but really my family has really um embraced asian culture in a lot of ways like i have a lady yeah. susan on my on my table which is very asian um do you um, cook a lot of asian related things then yes a lot of asian spices that has very much become kind of part of my own family culture is is a love of Asian food, um, specifically Thai food, um, has become a, a, a family a family it's favorite. A staple, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. What kind of Thai sure. food? Well, you know, Pad Thai, you know, any oh, kind of rice you. noodle. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> any kind of rice yeah. noodle, um, we really, we really enjoy. And and if you are going to actually host someone that's fresh yes. to America, make them a Thanksgiving meal. 
and explain Thanksgiving to them and the parts of the Thanksgiving meal, they just are fascinated by Thanksgiving. Really, just the idea of in the background of it or just well, why we do it with, to do. or why we do it with family yeah, yeah. Tell me. so um the story of thanksgiving is so much the story of colonialism and then the forgiveness yes. and then it's a very american sharing tale. your sharing your culture and sharing what you know and then reaping the rewards of sharing your culture with someone else and teaching them your culture and how then they can thrive because they learn from your culture i mean what better story, right? Yeah. What better story? As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. And you can also leave us your topic suggestions, things that we should be talking about on the podcast. Teacherslounge at niu.edu is the email. Wherever you're listening to this, like, share, subscribe, all of that. If you like what we do, that is the absolute best way you can help us be even better. Special thanks to Maggie Kosicki for being on the show and the Rockford area band, kind of, for the awesome music that you get to hear throughout the show. You can check out more of their music on SoundCloud and their appearance on our own sessions from Studio A. Thanks to Spencer Tripp for making the logo, and we will be back very, very soon. I'm your host, Peter Medlin. Have a good week. <laughs>